0: 119, and I said, you yeah, know, I'm going to go through this with, uh, with the elders. And so we discussed this, we dug into it, and it was really encouraging. And so when it came to this summer now, Tom said, well, hey, why don't you just go through that with the congregation? I said, awesome, sounds great. But I want to be really, really, really clear that this is a sermon to me, not just a sermon to you guys. I need this more than anybody. This is my heart's desire. I truly desire to grow in my hunger for God's word. So don't for a second think that I'm up here like, I got this figured out, now you guys need to figure it out. No, 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 that's not the case at all. My heart is just longing to grow and to desire God's word. So as I went through this this week getting ready, it was really encouraging just to dig in. And I just feel like God was just really speaking to me about like essentially saying, well, if you're going to say this, you know, you need to mean this. And so my desire is to have a hunger as we're going to learn about in God's word. And so before one more thing before I go into the message, I want to talk about It's something we don't really talk about here much. Um, I talked to Tom about this, and I actually want to share with you a little bit about the elders. What do we do? What's, what's the purpose of that? And the elders are essentially the idea of like the shepherd of the flock. We want to be here to serve you guys, to love on you guys, and to uh, hope encourage you to love Jesus more. And so at an elder meeting, what we do is we meet about once a month, we get together and we spend time going through stuff like the budget, which is the not-so-fun stuff. You know, a lot, of, a lot of facilities, that's like their main focus. That's not our focus at all. Our focus is you. When you guys fill out those connection cards and the prayer requests, we go through those one by one and we discuss those and we spend time praying for you by name, praying for your specific situation. Or if you come to us and say, hey, I got this situation going on. Can you pray for me? Please know that we are praying for you and we take that very seriously. So those are, if you're not familiar, we have those connection cards in front of you. If there's a prayer request, something on your heart, let us know right about it and uh, and you will be prayed for. So I just want to share with you to let you know that, that the leadership of this church, we really love you guys. And like when we say that at the end of the service, you know, we say, we love you, go have a great week, we mean that. We genuinely care about you. So please, if there's something on your heart, let us know. And actually pertaining to our current situation, if you know somebody that's in need of some physical help like with moving some trees around or some you know, projects maybe with some damage from the storm, let us know. There are people in this church that would love to help serve and help our community. So I just wanted to kind of lay that out before I got into the message. So today, we're going to be going through Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is all about the word of God, all about God's word. It is the longest chapter of any book in the Bible. So I hope you brought your lunch with you. Because there's 176 verses we can talk about, but we're not going to. That would be that would be crazy. Actually, to like to read through it, it takes a long time. I'm more of a fan of, like online, you can get someone to read it to you and then follow along. I find that helps me better focus. <laughs> I felt like, wow, this is like an eternity. It just took forever to go through it, but it was so good, and it is very direct and very common context. It's all about. God's Word. So we don't know who the author was, but we know that it was someone in the time writing a psalm, and we know that he's talking about God's Word. So, what was God's Word to him? The first part of this message is really digging into the context, and then we're going to spend the second half, what does this mean to us? So, the context, what is this author writing about when he says God's Word? He didn't have the whole Bible like we do. He knew of a Messiah, but he didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know of Jesus like we do. What he had was the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then a lot of scholars say that he might likely would have had maybe a few of the prophets' writings as well. So he had a fragment of what we had, yet as Charles Spurgeon wrote, he says, he who wrote this wonderful song was saturated with those books of Scripture in which he possessed. Just a fragment of what we have. But yet, he has so much to say about God's word. So then, next thing we need to look at is what is the goal or the the purpose of this psalm? And that is to enable God's people to admire his word so strongly that they will do whatever they can to have it shape their character and their conduct. The key there is admire so strongly. That is the motivation. When we start talking about God's word, it's really easy to get legalistic and be like, all right, I have to spend 30 minutes a day reading God's word. And then I need to pray for 20 minutes. And then I need to do this. And you kind of get this checkbox mentality. That's not the point of getting into God's word. The key of getting into God's word is that we would admire God so strongly that what do we want to do? We want to seek him more. And that just naturally will shape who we are. And that's, that's the whole direction of today's message. It's all about the heart. So let's go ahead now and get into it. I'm going to read through the section again, and then we're going to kind of pick it apart a little bit and talk about it. So Psalm 119, verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Did you happen to notice how many references here are to God's word? The actual your word, those terms, that phrase is mentioned. However, do you notice that it's referred to as statues, as testimonies, rules, commandments, and precepts? It's all, this author's, everything he's talking about here, he's referring to God's word. When he says, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments— What is God's commandments? It's in God's word. So everything in this, and this is verse 9 through 16. If you kept reading all the way to 176, it's all about God's word. So then we have to ask ourselves, what was God's word to this person? And we know that it was those first five books of the Bible. And we think about that. We think of the law. The Ten Commandments, those, that context. So how in the world could this person be so infatuated and so excited about a bunch of laws and rules, right? I mean, that's, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I think of us. We have Jesus. So it's so easy to be like, oh yeah, we can get infatuated with Jesus because we know what he did for us on the cross. But what about this guy? He's reading a bunch of rules and laws. It's like, how in the world could he be so excited? They didn't have Jesus, Right. Well, you're right, they didn't. But as I started to do some research, I found that Jesus is everywhere throughout the word of God. Did you know that the first mention of Jesus, now not by name, but we would call this a messianic prophecy, it was in Genesis 3.15. That's like the first maybe 10 pages of your Bible. That's the first mention of Jesus. And what that is, I'm just going to paraphrase Genesis 3.15, It is that the Messiah would be the seed or the offspring of a woman and he would crush the head of Satan. It says that he will crush the head of Satan and bruise his heel. That is the first mention of redemption, of hope, of salvation. Then in Genesis 12, 3, we see that he, referring to Jesus, would come from the offspring of Abraham and would bless all the nations on the earth. So it's not just a bunch of laws and rules that he's referring to. He knows that, that there is hope, that there is promise. And then actually, if we were to flip ahead a few pages, in verse 174, this author in the same context actually writes, I long for your salvation, O Lord, your law is my delight. He knows that there is hope. We have a much broader picture of this, but yet he knows that there is a promise of redemption. Satan will be defeated. He knows that. So that is what he's talking about. That's why he's so infatuated with the word. So then the next question is, so what did he do with these promises of God's word? He did exactly what anyone does when they are infatuated with something. He pursued it. He pursued God's word. If you were to read through this, it's all about the pursuit of God's word. So what does it mean to pursue something? I think the best analogy for pursuing is the idea of marriage. I think of a marriage when Somebody pursues their spouse. And I think of my marriage. I was teaching in this little town of Poinette down by Madison, and my wife, she was finishing up—she wasn't my wife at the time— finishing up her last year at Moody Bible Institute down in Chicago, and I would just count down the days until Friday. And Friday night, I'd walk out the doors of the school, I'd hop right in the car, bags were packed, and boom, driving down to Chicago. Going through the crazy traffic, getting there like bug-eyed just from being so stressed out from traffic— But there she was, and I could spend time with her, and we could develop a relationship. That's what it means to pursue somebody. And um, I think, honestly, that that is what's going on here. He is pursuing. He wants to know God more. He wants to dig in to God's word. So then the question is, how did he do that? How did he pursue God's word? Do you guys happen to note the verbs here in this text that I read in reference to God's word? He says in verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 10, With my whole heart I seek you. So he's guarding his way according to God's word. He's seeking God. He says and then in verse 10, Let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 11, I have stored your word in my heart. We'll skip a few just to save time. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your way. Those are all verbs that are showing that he is in pursuit of God. I want to pick three of those now and dig into them because I think this is really where we're going to go. We're going to look at these three, define them really well, and then enter Jesus into the equation and try to apply this to our lives. Verse 11, this is a very famous verse. There's, I think it's the Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible. I remember learning that in vacation Bible school, and it says, you know, I will hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let's look at that word. In the ESV here, it says, I have stored your word in my heart. So what does that mean to store your word and store God's word in our heart? I think of storage and then my brain goes to like a storage unit. That's where you, you know, you stuff all your junk in the storage unit, you close the door, you put a lock on it, and you walk away. So is that what it mean to store God's word in our heart? No, that's not what it's talking about. So I went back to the Hebrew. What was the Hebrew word for store and what was the author really talking about here? The word is safan, And the number one definition meant to treasure to treasure God's word in our heart. And I thought that was a really good definition, to treasure something, but that's still not a word that I think we really use that often. We're not pirates, right? So we don't really talk about treasuring stuff so much. So I kept on reading and I kept going through the list of words that defined and correlated with this idea of safan, and there it was, to hoard. And I was like, oh, this is great. Think of like the TV show Hoarders, like, I'm hopeful, it sounds like by the laughter, you guys have definitely seen this show. And literally, you know, they they bring the TV cameras, you know, and they start walking through these people's houses and they're hoarders. And they're literally like wall to wall, floor to ceiling, this people's stuff. And there's like tunnels through their houses to get from one room to another. They are literally encompassed and surrounded by their stuff. And then, like, when, like, the TV show, they try to, like, get people to, you know, hey, let's talk about getting rid of some of your stuff, maybe not being quite so much of a hoarder. And these people, they get really emotional. And, I mean, this is, like, they're really affected by this. And so then I'm like, wow, let's relate this to God's word. I will hoard your word in my heart. And why? That I might not sin against you. Just think of when we're going to struggle with a sin or a temptation coming in, what if our hearts were just completely hoarded with God's word, completely surrounded, encompassed by God's word? When that thought or whatever might come in, if it has to go through a heart and a mind that's completely hoarded with God's word, think of what the outcome might be. It might be a little different. I hope it'd be a little different. So that's the first one I want to look at, hoarding God's word in our heart. The next one is in verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statue. Teach me your word. He wanted to know more and more. He wanted to learn. This author was not content with where he was at. This wasn't a "Eh, good enough or. For the students I teach, the new thing is, oh, just send it. That's what I, you know how many times I hear that a day at work? It's ridiculous. That's just this whole idea, but that's not where the author is coming from. Think back to my marriage analogy. The more I pursued, the more time I wanted to spend with my now spouse. This person, he wants to be taught God's word. He's pursuing God's word. And in the latter half of this message, we're actually going to really dig into what that practically looks like. But essentially, when he says, teach me your statutes, he's saying, God, I want to know you more. I want to be filled. I want to be taught who you are. And the final two I want to talk about is in verse 14 and 16. And that is the word delight. In 14, the author says, In the ways of your testimonies, I delight, as much as in all riches. In verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not delight forget your word. So what does it mean to delight in God's word? That's another term that we don't really use all that often. So I started looking into the word delight, and the definition I found was extreme satisfaction. Just being extremely satisfied with something. So I'm like, what would that be like? Of course, the first thing that came to my mind, which Pastor Tom would be proud, is food. Think of being extremely satisfied with food, being full. And then I thought about pasta. Now think of that big dish of heavy pasta. You go to the restaurant and you order it and like you lift up the noodles and there's like a layer of butter down below. Like you eat that and like you are filled to the brim and you just kind of sit back and you're like, oh, that is extreme satisfaction. So in terms of God's word, reading God's word and just soaking it up and just sitting back and letting it sink into you, into your heart, into your mind and being like, oh, yes, that is good. That is what the author is talking about here when he says, I will delight in your statutes. It's not a chore. It's not something that he had to like, pursue and work at and make a checklist about. No, this is something he wanted and he found joy in. So this all sounds pretty warm and fuzzy, right? Oh, great. You know, everything's, you know, fuzzy bunnies and unicorns. Just read the Bible more and everything's great. But guess what? This author, he didn't have it all figured out. He's just like us. Let's go ahead. If you want to turn a couple pages here, remember this is a really long chapter. If you want to look at the last verse, the very last verse, 176. You would think, I would think, that this would end on a super high note, right? Like, seeking God's word, growing in God's word, desiring, delighting, hoarding, all these things, and you think it'd just end with this big hurrah. But it doesn't. It's a very humble ending. Verse 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. I have gone astray like a lost sheep? That's like a major fail. Why would he end like this? It's because he's a humble person and he acknowledges that he's just like the rest of us. He's a sinner. So even though he's seeking God's word, only Jesus is the perfect one. And that's where we need to now enter Jesus into this equation because if we ended here, we would essentially see that, yeah, we can try to pull up our bootstraps and try to delight in God's word and try to read it more and try to hoard it in our hearts, but we're going to end up just like this guy was at the end of the day, gone astray. There's no hope in this because he didn't have Jesus. He had the promises of Jesus, which is what his hope was, but we have Jesus. So what does this all look like now for us? What is, if we were to look at these words now, And try to apply them to us in light of jesus it's way more glorious than he had it and he was all excited about it so when we enter jesus into this equation we know that jesus fulfilled the old testament the old testament was all about prophesying and telling about how jesus was going to come and rescue the people but we now know that we know who jesus is we can read the gospels matthew mark luke and john and we can just saturate ourselves in who Jesus is, learn about his character, learn what he did for us. And we know that everything is different and immeasurably better because of Jesus. But still, how can we fit Jesus into this? How can we fit Jesus into these verses that I read? I want you guys to turn to John, the book of John. John 1.1. 1, 1. We're going to start right in the beginning of John. And I think we're going to see a correlation here and then we're going to take what we learn here and we're going to plunk it right back in to Psalm 119. So John 1.1, 1, 1. we're going to read through verse 5 and then we're going to flip over to verse 14. So this is the gospel according to John, talking about Jesus. He says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Turn to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Did you see that? Jesus is the word of God. So I'm going to do what Pastor Tom did a few weeks ago. What if we go ahead and take Jesus and plug it in to this Psalm 119 in place of the word? Can we do that? I don't know. Let's try it. Verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to Jesus. Oh, absolutely. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from Jesus. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me of Jesus. Yes, we can plug Jesus into this because we know that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. He is the Word. It says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So now let's look at those same four ex- three examples that we looked at before and let's plug Jesus into that situation and let's apply this to our lives. So remember we talked about hoarding? We talked about what a hoarder was? You guys were all on board with that? How can we hoard Jesus? Essentially, that's what we want. This author, in the context of the Old Testament, was hoarding God's word. He was hoarding the promises of Jesus, the promises of a Messiah. But we have the Messiah. We have Jesus. So how can we now hoard Jesus in our heart? We have to spend time with him. Remember, I don't want to get legalistic here. That's not the purpose of this message. The purpose is to hopefully motivate us that we are just inspired and want to spend time with Jesus. If we don't take in God's word, how are we going to grow? How are we going to learn? Remember, he says, I've hoarded your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you get to know somebody if you don't spend time with them? If I went to have driven down to Chicago to spend time with Promise, I would have never gotten to know her you can't get married on when you don't know somebody. You have to get to know them. You have to pursue them. So, some practical applications here. How do we grow in hoarding Jesus in our heart? We have to read this book. We have to read the Bible. And that can be a challenge. That's a challenge for me. I'm sure that's a challenge for all of us. To set aside time from our crazy, busy lives, to open up this word, and to read it. And there's a lot of things that we read in here that are confusing. Sometimes you're like, oh man, what am I even reading about? But I want to encourage you that there's help with that. First of all, we have the Holy Spirit of God. If you're a believer in your heart, that's going to help you discern, help you grow and help you learn things. But also men or humans have helped with this too. There's yearly Bible reading plans. In January, at the beginning of every year at this church, we we try to encourage everybody in the congregation to grab a little pamphlet in the back and it's a yearly reading plan. It takes you through the Bible in a year, you want to know to get to know your Savior? Read this whole book. You're going to get to know him. Also, there's devotional books and there's online devotions. There, a devotion means, some people call them a quiet time. It means I'm going to set some time aside in my life and devote it to the Lord. Or I'm going to have a quiet time. I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to quiet my heart, free myself from distractions, and spend time in God's word. Now, I do want to use a little word of caution here. I'm um, Just make sure if you're reading an online devotional, especially online, make sure that it's a reputable source. Um, Jesus talks about um, the wolves that are disguised in a sheep's clothing. In other words, like people who are making themselves sound like they're all about Jesus, but yet they're twisting God's word with false, falseness. So be a little cautious if you're not sure. And I do this with Pastor Tom a lot of times. I'll be like, hey, have you heard of this person? Are they, are they legit? And if he has, then he'll be like, oh Yeah. Or if not, then he'll say, well, no, let's look into it a little bit more. Just make sure if you're reading somebody's literature that's not straight from the Bible, make sure that they're gospel-centered. I'm not saying they're a perfect person, they're a perfect author. However, if their heart's in the right place, it's legit to read. Another thing we need to look at, which this is even harder, but scripture memorization. You want to talk about hoarding God's word in your heart, hoarding Jesus in your heart? What better way? Than to have scripture memorized. Do you know when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan? He was he was dog tired. He He had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's out there in the wilderness, and Satan comes to him. And Satan actually uses Scripture, but he uses it in the wrong context. And he's trying to get Jesus to sin. What does Jesus do? Jesus, the Savior of the world, he quotes Scripture. He's quoted scripture to Satan. And after three times, it says Satan went away. The temptation was gone. So I want to encourage you that if you think, well, scriptures, that's just something that they do at vacation Bible school for little kids. You know, that doesn't, that's not for me. No, Jesus, the one that we're talking about today, our Savior, he memorized scripture and he quoted scripture in times of trial. Now, I know that that's hard. Some of us just are plain not good at it. But I was talking to Tom about this and he said, you know, Maybe if you're really not good at having a word-by-word verbatim scripture, just soak yourself in a certain passage so much that you know exactly what that passage says. That you know the beginning, the middle, and the end and you are so knowledgeable about that specific passage that when a temptation may come that would relate to that, you are so familiar with that passage. It is so hoarded in your heart that you can come up with it and it comes in your mouth comes out of your mind and you know it just like that. All right, next thing I want to talk about is teaching. Verse 12, remember we talked about how this person wanted to learn of God's word. He says, teach me your statues. Teach me of Jesus. Well, how do we learn about Jesus? There's many ways. I talked about reading his word, but I'm a huge fan of corporately learning about Jesus. That's what we're here today for. We're here to hear from God's word, to learn about Jesus. So there's one way that we can be taught about Jesus. We come to church. We learn about Jesus. We have somebody who is bringing God's word to you and sharing it with you. Another way that we do in this church is we have community groups. And I want to encourage you this fall, as we kick off community groups and we start organizing them and getting people plugged into groups, I want to encourage you to check that out. We absolutely love our community group. People are coming into the homes and we're opening up God's word. But it's more than just that. We're sharing life with each other. We're sharing situations in life. And I'll be honest with you, in our community group, there's some, there's some realness. It's not just a bunch of fluff where we all pretend that we're okay. No, there's stuff that's on our hearts. There's struggles that we bring up. Say, hey, I need you to pray for me because I'm struggling with this. Anything from children to just life in general, we are encouraging one another And we are praying for one another in these community groups. And then what do we do after that? We open up God's word. And we discuss the message that was preached the Sunday before. We talk about it and then we apply it to our lives. Other ways of teaching or learning God's word would be Bible studies. I know there's some people in this congregation that are plugged into Bible studies outside of this church. That's great. There are are other churches that are preaching the gospel. And if they're having a Bible study, like a men's group or a women's group or something that pertains to you, I think of my wife, she goes to Mops. They spend time in the Bible, studying the Bible. There are many ways in this community that you can get plugged into growing in God's word. We live in a day and age where there's the internet. There's all kinds of online sermons. Now, once again, use caution. Make sure it's a legitimate source. But you can listen to sermons online. Sometimes in the evenings when I'm working in my shop, I turn on the radio. In 88.5, they've got these sermons that are on the radio. There's all kinds of ways that we can surround ourselves with God's word. To be 100% honest with you, one of the most influential sermons of my life was one that I read on YouTube. And it was called Marriage and Men. And if you're a guy and you want to learn about what it means to be a godly man in marriage, and I'm not saying I got this figured out, but I'm saying that this sermon was incredible. Marriage and Men by Mark Driscoll. I'm not saying he's a perfect man, but I'm saying that that sermon, it's grounded in the word of God. And that really changed my heart, changed my whole perspective on being a man. I'm going to encourage you to check that out. So if you want to grow in God's word and you want to learn, come to church, join a community group, go to a Bible study, listen to some online or sermons on the radio. Finally, the last thing we talked about was this idea of delighting or being full and satisfied In God's Word. So to delight or to be extremely satisfied in Jesus, that means to see Him as the most admirable person and reality in the universe. To see Jesus as the person that is to be admired above anybody else. It's not your spouse, it's not a famous person, it's not Aaron Rodgers. No, it's Jesus. And this is hard. I'll be honest with you. It's so easy to get fired up about something that somebody's accomplished. Wow, did you see what so-and-so did? And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. But at the end of the day, you can look at that same person and say, wow, did you see what Jesus did? We look at what Jesus did for us. And when you truly soak that in and apply it to your life, what other response do we have other than he's the most admirable person? Because what he did has an eternal impact on us something that's going to impact us beyond this world here. Aaron Rodgers, when he scores that awesome touchdown, that's great. But you know what? That game comes to an end and it's done. Jesus is eternal. Our lives come to an end. It can be done. However, if we put our faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, it doesn't come to an end. We have an eternity with Christ in heaven. So that's why he is to be admired above any other person. Now this might be something that's hard for us and I totally get that. So like, You know, he's, it's not Jesus. We can't, we can't touch him. We can't like, you know, verbally just have this conversation with him. I mean, there is the Holy Spirit working in our heart. I'm not downplaying that. But when it comes to this tangible, you know, face-to-face interaction with Jesus, that's tough. So I want to encourage you. If that's you, if you're like, you know, I love Jesus and I want to grow, but I just have trouble with that, you know, personal relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you to read the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the accounts of Jesus. If you want to learn about Jesus, read those. And then reread them and keep reading them. And you're going to learn who this Jesus is. You're going to learn about what his life was like. You're going to learn about what, how he lived. What did he do? How did he love people? You're going to learn about the miracles and how he just genuinely loved people. And then you're going to keep reading. When you get to the end of these books, you're going to learn about what he did for you and me. You're going to learn how he this perfect man who did nothing wrong, lived a perfect, sinless life, how because he loved us, he took on our sin and he hung on a cross and died. And then he rose again to offer us redemption and to offer us that eternity that I was talking about in heaven. And when we read and reread and we saturate and we hoard that in our hearts, we start to get that, uh, I'm full. I'm extremely satisfied. How could somebody be more admirable? That's the question you got to ask yourself. I'm going to read a quote here by John Piper, and it's going to sound a little odd at first, but then I think as we dig into it, it's going to make some sense. He says, Did you know that those who delight themselves in the Lord receive the desires of their heart? What? Those who delight themselves in the Lord receive the desires of the heart. Well, this sounds like a prosperity gospel or, you know, Jesus is some kind of genie in the bottle. Well, Jesus, I want this and I'm going to delight in you and you're going to give it to me, right? No, that's not what he's talking about. It's not because one causes the other. It's not that we delight ourselves in Jesus and then we get the desires of our heart. But it's because one shapes the other. Delighting in God supremely determines and shapes the kind of desires that we have in our heart. When we are completely satisfied with Jesus, when we are delighting in him, that's going to shape the desires that we have in our heart. So, of course, the only outcome of those desires are going to be godly desires. We're going to be wanting him more. We're going to be wanting to tell people about Jesus. We're going to want to have our lives reflecting and just screaming out Jesus. And if that's the desires of our heart, he's going to give us that. He wants us to know him more. So hoarding Jesus in our hearts, learning about Jesus, delighting in Jesus, they all help us to get to know our Savior more. That's the key. That's what this author in Psalm 119, that's what he wanted. He wanted to get to know the word of God more. He wanted to know who God was. We entered Jesus into the situation. We want to know who Jesus is. So, as we wrap things up, I want to talk about one more little topic here. So, as we get to know our Savior more, what happens? What happens to us as we get to know Jesus more? As we're spending more time in his word, as we're reading the scriptures, as we're studying the scriptures, as we're meditating, as we're memorizing, as we're coming to church, as we're interacting with Christians, as we are soaking and saturating ourselves with Jesus' word, what happens? It's a fancy Bible word that they call sanctification. Some of you may have heard about that before. Some of you may not. So I'm going to define it for you. What it means is it means to progressively become like Jesus. Gradually becoming like Jesus or becoming holy. Becoming conformed to the image of Christ. Little by little over time. This starts from conversion and goes till either Jesus comes back or you die. It is this process. You are in the process of sanctification if you're a believer. Becoming sanctified. The day you put your faith in Christ, and then slowly over time, you grow. You're taking in God's word. You're growing. This is, like I said, this is my desire. I'm preaching this to me. This is what I want for my life. This is what I want for your lives. As we're taking in God's word, as we're growing, as we're becoming more like Jesus, we are being sanctified. And... Don't forget that little note there, little by little. This doesn't happen overnight. This is a lifelong growth. Sanctification is lifelong growth. If you, have, if you want to learn a little bit more about this, I'm not going to go into it right now, but uh, Romans 6, towards the middle to the end of that, in Romans 6, Paul literally gives examples of what sanctification looks like. So, why do we guard? Why do we seek? Why do we hoard? Why do we teach, declare, and delight, and meditate on Jesus? The reason is simply to become more like him. And at the end of the day, sanctification, that is the goal of the Christian life. We want to become more like Jesus. And I want to end with just one more verse here. And this is going back to the Psalm. It was Psalm in the verse, the same 119, this is verse 105. The author says, Your word, or for us, Jesus, is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. When we are soaking it in, we're becoming more like Jesus. He is going, he guides our life. A lamp unto my feet and a light unto your path. All right, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your word. We just want to thank you for fulfilling all of that Old Testament. Jesus, it was all pointing towards you and then you came along and you fulfilled everything that was in it. Jesus, you are our hope You are our everything. I pray, Lord, that our hearts will just want to desire you more. I pray, Lord, that we'll be able to think about some of these words today and that we're going to go home and that we won't just put our Bibles on the shelf and say, all right, we're good till next Sunday. God, I pray that that won't be the case. I pray this for me just as much as everybody. God, I pray that we will have a desire to open up your word and to want to become more like you, Jesus. May that be our hearts also pray for the rest of this time of worship. May our hearts just adore you, Jesus. May we sing songs that talk about who you are, what you've done for us, songs about how you are better, Jesus. You're better than anything else. You are to be admired more than anything. I pray that this will all just ring a tone in our hearts that make us want you more. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.